This weekend, millions of Americans will gather at homes, parades, barbecues, and other events to remember. Some, including you, will remember the loved ones who have passed on recently or a long time ago. Others will recall the sacrifice of armed service members who gave their lives to defend this country. And still others will recall the pain and grief of a tragic school shooting where innocent lives were taken by an evil human being. No matter the circumstance, the act of remembering will be on everyone's mind this weekend. And with that in mind, we come this morning to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and we are challenged to remember something. But more importantly, remember something else in relationship to our Christian lives. And what Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 sets before us is that you and I must remember our objectives as Christians. You and I must remember our objectives as Christians. You know, we've come off this series of Hebrews where we've talked much about running the race of faith. We highlighted some goals that we had in the race, and what I want to do is help us not forget. And in doing so, I want to go back to this text here in Deuteronomy 6, familiar one to all of us, most likely, and remember a two objectives that God gives us to live out as believers in Jesus Christ. What are those two objectives, you ask? Well, the first one from verses 4 and 5 is that we obey God totally. We obey God totally. Listen to what Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Total obedience to God. But notice what what Moses says. He says that total obedience to God is a matter of the heart. You say, well, pastor, it says here. Kind of involves ears, doesn't it? You're right. It involves the hearing. But here the word hear means to hear with a purpose of understanding. The implication of the word carries the idea of obedience. And here the word is an imperative, which means it's a command to be obeyed. So not not only is the word uh, semantically inclined towards obedience, the imperative behind it reflects that as well. Here with a purpose of understanding. An illustration we might use is, is when your parents gave you instructions at home. They intended for you to listen to that instruction and then go out and do it. And sometimes, let's be honest with ourselves, sometimes we didn't listen to understand, did we? We listened to just tolerate what mom and dad were saying, and then we're planning our own things to do. Well, here, as Moses is talking to the second generation of Israelites who are going to go into the land, the first generation who has passed on and has died in their rebellion, Moses wants his readers, his, his listeners, to get to the heart of the matter. To listen with their heart and not just with their ears because that's where the battle is fought. Right? When we we were kids, it was really easy to listen to what mom and dad had to say, but it came down to a matter of the heart whether or not we were going to obey, right? 
And if you were like me, I was stubborn as I'll get out, and I didn't really want to obey, and it was a hard issue. My wife's laughing back there. She, she knows me very well. But this is what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, when he's talking to Timothy, a young pastor, who, who's he's preaching to, to a, genera- a first-generation Christians. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Paul, what is Paul saying? He says, Timothy, there's going to tom- come a time where pe- people are not going to listen to you. They, they have an itch in their ear, and they want someone to satisfy it. And what it comes from is suiting their own passions. It's their heart. See, Moses doesn't want his, his audience, the second generation who's about to go into the land, to just hear with their ears. He wants them to hear with their heart. Because that's where the battle is fought. That's where the, 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 issue, the issues of life are. Proverbs says that. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is what is where we're going to obey. We can obey on the outside with our ears and listening. But more importantly is that God wants our heart. We've seen that through our study in the books in the in the Kings on the, during the, our ABF time. I would encourage you to come out. I know it's really early for you to come out and listen on a, uh, to our study and be involved in our study in the lessons from the Kings. We've seen that time and time again. And these different Kings who who went through their their rulership and they and they didn't have God's heart and God didn't have theirs. And what happened? They disobeyed, and the end was devastating for them. But notice also what Moses says. Secondly, total obedience to God comes from a personal relationship with him. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses uses the phrase, the Lord our God, to emphasize Israel's personal relationship with God. Now, to make this statement a little smoother in our English translation, we could insert the, the verb is. The Lord is our God. Okay, Just to make that a little smoother, because I think that's what Moses is saying. He's calling his audience to remember that they have a special relationship with God as Israelites being called God's people. So you and I today as believers have a unique relationship with God being called His children. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. We can't obey God totally unless we're part of His family. And Israel, as they're, they're considering entering into the land for, for the first time, they're going to be challenged in their relationship with God. Moses calls them to remember that the Lord is their God. And I would encourage you this morning as you're contemplating running your race faithfully, remember that God is your God and that is where your obedience to Him comes from. It doesn't come from a, 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 like a, a boss to an employee type of relationship. It doesn't come from a, a sister to a brother or a sibling to a sibling, cousin to a cousin relationship. No, you're obeying God because He's your Father. And He's my Father. And we have a special relationship with Him as His children. God does not command obedience, obedience from, from um, simple people. He commands obedience from His children. Notice thirdly that 
Moses also says, total obedience to God recognizes that there is only one God. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Now, you can go several ways with that term one. It could, pro- it could speak to his unity, the fact that God is one. He is unified in what he does and who he is. You could go to his uniqueness as he is the singular person, the singular God, the one true God. And I think that's where Moses is going because with the context of the book, Deuteronomy, second generation of Israelites going in to a land that is unique and the previous statement of God being the God of Israel, I think we're going to lean toward the uniqueness of God is what Moses is emphasizing. In other words, in the face of idols in the land which they are possessing, Israel needs to be reminded that their God is the only God is therefore the one they need to love completely. I mean, think about it. Israel's going into a land where there's many gods, many idols that will uh, eventually trip them up. But they need to be reminded as they're entering into a land full of idols, full of different types of pagan worship, that there is only one God. And that is the God that need to love and obey. So you and I today, in, in some 2,000, well, over 3,000, 4,000 years later, have the same calling. Our obedience to God recognizes that He's the only one who deserves our worship and praise, who deserves our obedience. And so as a result, we, we obey because of who God is, the one true God. Notice fourthly that total obedience to God is an emotional and rational response to Him. Moses says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What does these words break? Let's break these words down for a little bit here. The word love emphasizes obedience to God with both rational and emotional factors. It's the love that I have for my wife. My love for her is, is, is very emotional and it's also rational. When we got married almost five years ago. Yes, there were a lot of emotions on that day, but there was also rationality behind it. We had thought things through. We had, we, had, we had come to the conclusion that we loved each other and we wanted to make a life with each other. I still to this day don't know why she said yes. It just blows my mind. But she had come to the, the rational thinking in her own heart and mind that she wanted to say yes and, and commit to a lifetime with me. And I, I came to that point too. And you, for, you, you, for you who are married and, and have been married, you, you know that you came to that point where you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with that person, and there was both an emotional and rational response to it. Well, in the same way, we have an emotional and rational response to God. And let me emphasize the emotional for a second. It's not wrong to be emotional with God in your love for Him. There, there's some people who say today, no, you just got to be, you know, focus on that. It's logical obedience to God, and that's part of it. But there's also emotions involved. So, so be emotional in your obedience to God. Be, be logical, but be emotional in your obedience to God. The, the grammar of, the, of this, these phrases make these words a command. Therefore, it's not an option. He is the one we're to love. And notice, notice what he says. The Lord, you shall love the Lord your God. 
Again, drawing upon the personal relationship between God and His children. We don't love an impersonal force. We don't love a random being who just sits on his rocking chair and just, just kind of lets things fly by. No, we love our own Father in heaven. And notice also, lastly, in this, this emphasis on obedience to God, notice that total obedience to God requires full participation with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Here's the word, Moses used the word with to describe how Israel is to love God and by consequence, us. How do you love God? This is how you do it, with all your heart. The word heart in the Old Testament refers to the innards of a person. It describes the intellect, the will, and the intentions. So love for God affects the choices, actions, and words that we use. What we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're feeling. Love for God Obedience to Him comes from that. comes from a desire to please Him and a desire to love Him. And so it affects every part of who we are, the thinking, the, the speaking, the acting. All of that comes to play when we're lo- working on totally obeying God. He also uses the word soul. Here, again, the word soul refers to the emotions and desires of a person. It's how a person makes the decisions, says words, acts, and expresses character. That must be singularly directed by love for and obedience to God. So, so not as he, only is he talking about okay, your actions, your choices, your words, your thoughts. He's talking how you make them is supposed to be directed by love for God. Oh, and by the way, all your strength too all your abilities, all your, your natural strength, your, your, your power, all your energy is to be brought to bear in total obedience to God. We read this morning from Mark chapter 12, verse 28-34, through 34, and in verse 30, Jesus adds the word mind. Now, whether is this, it, some commentators note that Jesus is using the Septuagint translation, so there's a little bit of a difference there. But nonetheless, the addition of the word mind there intensifies the requirement to love and obey God with everything one has. Everything that we have, cognitively, emotionally, every word you can use to describe us is to be brought to bear when loving and obeying God. There is no half-hearted participation. I'll use the sports illustration. If a player steps on the basketball court, the football field, the soccer field, or whatever sport you can name, if they only run half speed, they only dribble once or twice, they only pass or run or jog uh, just a little bit, I guarantee you that player's not going to play well or not going to play long because the coach is wanting all-out effort in the particular sport that that person is in. And so is the same thing in total obedience to God. It has to be all-out effort. All of our energy, all of our emotions, all of our thoughts, all of our actions, everything that we do and say as human beings must be brought to bear in loving and obeying God. 
So let me ask you a question. Are you completely obeying God in your life? Am I completely obeying God in my life? Again, listen to what the scribe says in Mark 12, 32-33, and his response to what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. He says, and the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Everything that we can do as Christians, whether it be service, ministry, loving one another, all the, all the acts that we can do as believers, those do not compare to loving and obeying God. That is the first priority. For you and for me. So whether it be in your relationship with your spouse or whether your, your job relationships or your, your family relationships, money, whatever, you name the list. Total obedience to God, complete obedience to Him, comes first. So how are you doing in there? How are you doing with that? Are you completely obeying God or are you half-heartedly obeying God? There are many Christians today I think that are on the half-hearted part. Right? They'll love God on Sunday and maybe Monday and Tuesday. And, but the rest of the week, that's mine. You know, I, I get to do what I want to do and, and be motivated by why I want to fulfill in my life. And oftentimes I want to walk up to those people and say, how's, how's that going for you? Are you truly satisfied? Or are you really, truly satisfied with loving God partially? And, may, and they may want to say yes, but I can almost guarantee you that at the heart of the issue, they're not satisfied. Something's missing. It is completely obeying God in every part of your life. That's, that's one thing we have to remember. As, our, as we run the race, if we have those objectives as believers, we have to totally obey God. No partial obedience, no half-hearted obedience, full-blown, all-out obedience in love for God. Second objective that we have as Christians is that we teach others the Word of God. Verses 6-9. through nine. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What is the content of our teaching? It's the Word of God. Moses is talking in there in verse 6. He says, in these words, he's talking about what he's going to talk to the second generation. All the book of Deuteronomy, the Word of God. He wants them to, 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 to focus on that. And these words will I command you. The word command means to an order or instruction with the implication of carrying something out or obeying something. And here as he's talking to second generation Israelites, he's telling them to obey his words and commands which are the word of God. And so you and I today should realize that the word of God, must realize that the word of God is where we find the content of our loving obedience to him. No other source will do. Think about the different religions today. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, so you can name the list. They use their own sources, don't they? They have their own list of rules and instructions and the way they're supposed to do their religion. And it's not the Word of God. This is our instruction booklet. Right? 
This is how we are to determine our relationship with him and how we are to obey and love him. This decides this. Not some other random source by a random pastor or random book that someone pulls out of their hat and says, this is how you do it. No, it's the word of God. That you and I need to use as we teach others the word and as we use it ourselves. That's the standard. That's the source that we use to learn and to know how to obey God. And therefore, secondly, the Word of God is our priority, first and foremost. He says, today shall be in your heart. So the word heart not only further solidifies the idea of loving God as a form of obedience, but also shows its necessary place in the lives who are doing the teaching. It has to be in your heart first. And Moses is talking to a second generation of Israelites who have, have come off of a 40 years of wandering, who are going to be going into a new land, and he's challenging them to make God's word their priority because the previous generation didn't. Do you remember what happened to them? They died in the wilderness. They didn't get to see the land. And, and you have to also think Moses, as he's writing this, he's saying those words to himself. Because did Moses get to go into the land? No. He didn't fully obey God. He didn't make God's word his priority. In his moment of temptation and weakness, he let his, his emotions get out of hand. He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And so God says, you're not going to go into the land. So God's word must first take root in our hearts before we teach it to others or else our efforts are in vain. For those of you who are teachers here this morning, or most of you are retired now, when you were teaching your students for so many years in school, you first had to know the, the, the content yourself, right? You had to know what you were teaching. You had to know what you were speaking to your students and wanting them to learn. It had to be in your heart and your mind first before you passed it on. So you and I as believers, and when we're going to teach someone God's Word, whether it be our kids, our family members, or just a coworker, it has to be our priority first. We can't walk into a, to a situation where we're making disciples and trying to teach someone about God and just say, you know what, I just thought I'd share this with you and we pull out something from our hats that's not part of God's Word. It's just something that we heard. It must come from a, a deep-rooted place in our own hearts where it shows that God is our priority first and His Word is on our hearts. Notice also that he says we are to repeatedly teach the word of God. Verse 7, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. The word teach diligently is the only time, it's the only time this word is used in the Old Testament. It means to recite repeatedly. And when you recite something, you are doing so to emphasize to your listener that this is important, Right? recitation takes the instruction seriously and wants the recipients to fully understand what is being said. That's why mom and dad had to tell us time and time again the same thing, right? Because they wanted us to get it and because they knew if we didn't hear it over and over again, we weren't going to do it. Some of you are laughing. And you should be, just like me. We had to hear it over and over again because we weren't listening. And so the importance of the instruction was taught over and recited repeatedly so we could understand it because it's important. Mom and dad, hopefully, weren't talking to hear themselves just talk. 
They were talking specifically to you and I so we could listen and learn. And so the word of God here, as Moses is speaking to a second generation of Israelites, he wants them to recite this, these commands, repeat these commands over and over again to the next generation. Again, contextually thinking that the second generation is going in, they're going to conquer the land, they're going to settle the land. How are, they going to, how are the, how is the next generation going to know how to live for God? Because they're going to hear it from their parents. How important is in there, as they talk about it time and time again, the kids are going to learn, oh, this, is, this really is important. But unfortunately, what happens in history? You get three or four generations in, we have the book of Judges, right? What was the one statement that characterizes the book of Judges? And every man did that was right in his own eyes. Three or four generations into this effort, somewhere along the line, they forgot to recite repeatedly. They forgot to make God's word their priority. They forgot to teach it to their kids. And so everyone does what was right in their own eyes. And it's a mess. So we repeatedly teach his word. We do it over and over again. Some of us you know, who have been teachers, Sunday school teachers, we, we, we've taught the same lesson over and over again. And, and we stand back and we think, well, am I doing anything? And I would encourage you that yes, you are. And maybe the same lesson and maybe the same teaching over and over again, the same emphasis, but we need to repeatedly teach that. Why? So people can understand, hey, this is important. This is something we need to do. Notice, fourthly, that we teach, we, we are to create a long-lasting love for God's Word. You should teach them diligently to, to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. What does the word talk mean? It means it, it emphasizes the efforts of impressing upon the children the Word of God. In other words, they are going to cultivate long-lasting desire for God's Word in the heart of their children, children as they teach them God's Word. An illustration on, on this point of impressing or talking. Um, yesterday, my wife and I went out uh, around town, and uh, we went garage sailing. Um, I don't know if you like to do that. I know I like to do that. My wife does as well. I got that love, if you will, from my mom. My mom would take us as kids during the summer and we would hit garage sales. Why? Because you find some really good stuff at garage sales for ridiculous prices. And so my love for garage sailing, even to this day, and going to thrift stores as well as we used to do, comes from her. She used to take us along on those, those adventures and, and, and find the good deals and, and some, some, in some instances resell that stuff to make some money. That came from her. That was impressed upon me, the, the, the love for that. And today I... We go on that. We're even, maybe tomorrow we might have a little time if they have some garage sales out. We might go out again. So that impression, because my mom took me on those repeated garage sailing exploits. Back where I, where I grew up in southwest Minnesota, they have citywide rummage sales, which means there's a specific day during the summer. I, I don't know if we really have them here. But there's a specific day during the summer where everybody has a garage sale and you just hit them all in one day. Those are fun. Um, but it came from her, and so it has created a long-lasting love for garage sale in my own heart and mind. Well, in the same vein, in teaching the Word of God to others, we are impressing upon them the priority of the Word, which will hopefully lead them to love and obey God completely. 
That's what we're doing when we're teaching others God's Word and teaching our kids and teaching our family members and other believers. We're, we're creating in them and hopefully impressing upon them the priority of the Word. And that they might see that and in turn go do it themselves and make that a priority as they're leading others to love and obey God completely as well. And then lastly, we teach the Word of God no matter the circumstance. Look at what he says. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now here, in, in, in what Moses is doing is in grammar, is he's creating a double merism. Now if you don't know what a merism, that's fine. A merism emphasizes everything in every situation. So what it does is it creates two extremes and uses those two extremes to cover everything else. For example, here, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you're at home, and when you're outside, and every time in between. When you lie down, when you rise up. At night, in the morning, during the day, and every point in between. The Word of God is to be such a priority that it comes first no matter what is happening, whether I'm sleeping, whether I'm waking, whether I'm in the middle of the night, just up and about. It always is a priority. To the point that it's bound. What does the word bind mean? It means to tie down or adhere to. The word sign there means a marker or a sign designed to attract one's attention and therefore pay attention to what it says. You'll bind them as a sign in your right hand. It should be as frontlets between your eyes. That's where we get the word frontlets is where we get the term phylacteries. You see them in, in Israel today. Jews will carry around boxes on the top of their heads with different portions of Scripture in it. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. They're to be in plain view as you go out and as you come in. The Israelites were to create reminders of the word, not as methods of ritual, but reminder. Every time a door was opened or a gate entered, there would be a reminder of the word, a requirement to obey it. Unfortunately, today, the Jews, Jewish people have taken that a little bit too far. They bind God's word to their hands through different meanings. They tie it on their forehead. They, they write words on their doorposts. That's more out of ritual than natural love for God. God's design here is for, for reminders to be put in our path. So regardless of the application today, there must be reminders that we set up to put God's Word as the priority in our lives and use those reminders to teach others as well. This looks different in every situation. It may be Bible verses on the wall for you. You know, we've got some at our house. It could be a, an app on your phone that reminds you to read the Word of God every day. It could be some handwritten notes that you leave in places you know you're going to be that can be reminded, okay, it's a particular scripture verse or a particular reminder or truth from God's Word. I would encourage you to, to, to use those formats. Figure out what works for you. To put God's Word before your heart and mind so you can be reminded, hey, I need to love God. I need to obey Him. We have to put those reminders in our hearts and minds because if we don't, we're going to get a couple generations in and God's Word is going to be lost. The emphasis is going to be gone. So we need to teach the Word of God regardless of the circumstance and we need to use different reminders to help us do that.
So are you committed to teaching the Word of God to others no matter the time or the circumstance? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what we're called to do. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. What Jesus say? Go and make disciples. We're called to teach the Word of God as believers. And if you're not a believer here in this room this morning, we encourage you to consider these truths. That unless you're a part of God's family, you cannot totally obey Him and cannot be in a total relationship with Him. But if you confess your sins, you ask God to forgive you of your sins, you accept Jesus Christ's free gift of salvation, you can come to a personal relationship with Him. And you can go and teach the Word of God as you learn it. No matter the time or the circumstance. Too many Christians today, I feel... Make God's Word limited. It's for the public, or maybe it's for the church time, but it's not for the time at home. It may be for the time at home, but maybe not out in public. But the Word of God clearly states no matter the situation, we are to be teaching the Word of God. Especially as as the second generation is entering in, they're to teach it to their children so they can be reminded of the truth. And so you and I, need to be willing to teach the Word of God to others, whether it be an evangelistic outreach, whether it be just a discipleship opportunity, no matter the time, no matter the circumstances. Do not put limitations on your spreading of the Word of God. That can have devastating consequences. So Memorial Day is a special day where we get to remember so many events and people So as, as you celebrate this weekend, as we celebrate this weekend, here this passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, through 9, has given us two objectives that we are to remember as Christians. We obey God totally. No matter the situation, no matter what's going on, God demands our total obedience. He demands our heart. And we teach others the Word of God. No matter the circumstances, no matter the, the, the time frame, we create that long lust, lasting love for God's Word as we repeatedly teach it and prioritize it in our own hearts and lives. So this week, as you and I remember, let's not forget these two objectives that will help keep things in priority as we actively run the race of faith.